Good morning or good afternoon or good evening, whatever time it is where you are at. Welcome. You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast. This is Megan and we have our friend Lauren today. And you guys, she is currently in Vietnam and it is 4 a.m., 4.10 now a.m. where she's recording. I cannot believe that she is up and ready to record an episode, but we are so grateful for her for being with us today. And she has a lot of great things in her story, a lot of things that sometimes we don't even talk about or even know of. Like there's, there's a certain thing in her um, story that I have, I didn't even ever hear the word until I saw it on her story. So I can't wait to dive into her story and have her tell more about all the things about her story. Of course, we have a review of the week, so I will read that and then we'll dive right in. This is from Sarah Albinger, maybe. (laughs) And she says, one month ago, I had a successful VBAC induction just 18 months after cesarean section. I almost called to schedule a repeat on my due date because I was so scared. Then I found your podcast and listened to it for two days straight. It gave me the courage to go through with the induction, and I'm so glad I did. Hoping more people find this as a resource. And she actually emailed us that, which was awesome. Congratulations, Sarah, on your VBAC. So happy for you. And like I said, she emailed. So you can email us your reviews if you would like. Or if you have a moment, maybe push pause really quick and jump onto your podcast, whether it be Apple or Google Play, and leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. And again, we always read one on the episode. So your review might be next. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, Lauren, I'm so excited to have you. I seriously, I cannot believe that you are up. I I don't know if I could get my tushy out of bed at 4 a.m. to record a podcast. <laughs> so, it's so early. grateful. Yeah, it's so early. Oh my gosh. And you, we just talked about it. You just had a baby not long ago. And so you're not only like 4 a.m., but probably sleep deprived within those <laughs> few hours that you did get sleep. So seriously, thank you so much for being with us today. No problem. I'm excited to share my story. Well, I'm excited to hear it. I would love to turn the time over to you and it's like share all the amazing things. You have had such a journey that has led you here today. Yeah, well, thank you so much for for having me. This is a wonderful opportunity for me to go back and like remember what has happened to me over the last couple of years. So my story started, I feel like way back when I was a Montessori teacher. And at that point I was like, I knew exactly what I wanted out of my birth at like the age of 18 or 19 years old. I wanted a water birth. I wanted all natural. And um, and I wanted to have all my kids by the time I was 25. <laughs> Anyways, and that didn't happen. I got married uh, not long after that. I got married when I was just turned 23. And um, kids did not happen right away. Uh, my 25th birthday was the most depressing birthday I've ever had. 
turns out I was like struggling with some infertility there. And I, at that time I had sought some, I don't know, I I will tell you, I pondered on it and it just didn't feel right. The time to like kind of take care of our infertility didn't feel right. So we ended up um, moving our family abroad and family. My husband and I, we taught English abroad and then we came back to America and we just so happened to like live in Boston. We had some contacts there, but we felt, I don't know the right word. We felt very inspired to move to Boston Mm -hmm. and we didn't start working on the family thing right away because you have to have insurance for that. But on the East Coast, they pay for infertility treatment. If you have insurance, it's covered. And I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> and then I um, went to- That's amazing. Yes. Wait, for real? It, yes, for real. And so, I need to tell my sister who just moved to Boston and is having infertility issues. Oh my goodness. Yes. The insurance there is amazing. So then I started finding out through other people who had- moved there just to get the insurance, just to seek infertility treatment. Wow. Cool. uh, Yeah, it was amazing. Exactly. And I feel like um, the right people were put in our path at the right time and they shared the doctor. So then I was like, okay, let me go to your doctor. Like, okay. So then um, pieces started to fall into place to figure out like, what the heck is wrong with me? It's been, I think it was, had been 13 years at that point in time of us, you know, not stopping us from having children, you know, everything was, it is the way it is. So I go and they do, they do this huge checkup on me and my doctors just couldn't believe like the long list of all the crap that was wrong with me. Um, Especially because I was still, I was in my thirties, but I ended up having what's called Asherman syndrome. It's adhesive, it's scar tissues, um, and it can exist in the cervix or in the uterus. And mine was everywhere. It was in, I was 100% scarred over through my cervix and my uterus. And it took multiple, multiple surgeries to try to kind of remove it. It's, um, they're called hysteroscopies. And here's the, the miracle here is that Asherman syndrome, it's, it's not well known. It's still like, oh, hush, hush. A lot of women hear the word adhesive and that's exactly what it is. It's these the scar tissue that's in the uterus, and it usually happens after DNC or if you've had a miscarriage. There's a percentage of women who scar over, and um, there are specific doctors out there that will take care of it. And one is in Boston, and the other one was in California. So I got to see that very specialized doctor, and that made that was just a huge miracle. I felt like I was being taken care of. So we went there and my scar tissue, it was just so severe. I'm pretty sure I still have it. It's, it's something that doesn't really go away, um, but it was blocking my tubes. And so we well, that and we had door ovary, uh, diminished ovarian reserve. And so my eggs were like, I was a 44 year old woman. So here I am, I think it was like 32 at this time. And going through all this, I'm like, my eggs are old. <laughs> I'm old. Um, and then they did a, <laughs> they did a biopsy of my uterus and it showed that it was inactive and I had, and, what? It, and it was menopausal. That's what they told mm. me. It was menopausal. So I was like, so I've gone through menopause <laughs> and here I am. And it turns out that if you don't have a period for over a year, you're considered um, in menopause. And I didn't realize that because I hadn't had one in like seven years at this point. Wow. I didn't even know yeah. that either. I mean, yeah. I didn't have a period, but I had an IUD. So 
so it's different that's a little different right Mm -hmm. yeah like I didn't know that yeah I, I had no idea I was learning so much so quickly and and it was it was a lot of emotions. I, I cried and cried because I felt like my um, journey of having children was completely over. I had a very slim chance of having a baby. And so I was like, okay, we're, we're doing this. I'm, ju- I'm jumping head in. And so I jumped and IVF, I, I had only one good embryo out of my first round and it ended up in a miscarriage. It was non-viable and it ended up that it had like a, something wrong chromosome with the chromosomes in it. They like did some testing, but this is where my dirt, like, I feel like, Oh, I had this journey. Okay, here it comes now. So I was only, you know, with IVF, they watch you. And so it was like, after my two week wait, I had a positive test. Okay. Then they watch it grow. Mine wasn't growing. So then I had my ultrasound and they're like, Oh, this is not right. There's no heartbeat. Like this doesn't even look right. Whatever. I'm bawling my eyes out, you know, cause it's, it's really hard. And they waited an extra week. So I was seven weeks when I went in for my D and E and the doctor just, they told him he was going to, because of my Ashermans that he was going to, it was going to cause a huge big problem. So he kind of goes in, he like scoops it out. That's the way I like to think of it. He just scoops it out and he's done. And, um, Lo and behold, my levels, my HCG levels were still remaining the same, if not going up. And I, and I was still feeling very sick. And so the next, it was like two or three days later, I'm like, something's really wrong. Something's really wrong. So I, I went back and they drew my blood and come to find like my levels are still going up. And I'm like, something's wrong. So I went back to my Asherman syndrome doctor and um, they did an ultrasound and then they did an in-office, I was wide awake, <laughs> hysteroscopy, and they took little scissors and they tried to like go in and take out what they could see. What? It's like <laughs> yeah. giving me the chills right now thinking oh, about was, going through that. Uh-uh, it was so painful. Um, oh, and, my goodness. <laughs> it was so bad. And um, I'm just bawling my eyes out on this table. And they're like, this is too much. And I was like, yeah, this is too much. And so I was scheduled for surgery the next day. And that's when I was told about my accreta that the um, that that teeny tiny little sack had grown into my lining and um, and my again my Asherman syndrome has is now it's 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 worse than the first time I went, which is saying something. And so I had um, a few more surgeries after that one just to kind of clean it up. And so it took a long time and a lot of hormone therapy, like a ton of estrogen to try to get my uterus back up and running. They, they call it jump starting because I was still not having periods. They were like forcing them through medication. And so it's anyways, it was this crazy time in my life. And anyway, so second round of IVF was like maybe six to nine months later. And again, I only had one little embryo and that turned out to be my son at the time, we didn't know the sex of our child until he was born. So it was a really fun surprise. And I was so excited when, you know, I'm well, first you're really hesitant because you're like, oh my goodness, is this going to stick? What's going to happen? And he stuck and he continued to grow. He, his percentiles in growth, every ultrasound, they were still like 13%, 15%. So I had a small baby and it always worried me. And then we got flagged for... Um, genetic testing. We got flagged and we got called and it was like, you got to come in right now. We have to do this ultrasound. And I'm like, I remember just the worry that comes over your face, like, oh my gosh. And you just start immediately like breaking down and crying and, 
and we we drove straight to the hospital to do it was a two hour long ultrasound of just laying on the table and they don't talk to you by the way <laughs> in this clinic they're just like they look they look they look they look and then at the very end they may say something or you have to go to your doctor and your doctor will tell you but the ultrasound tech does not say anything to you so it's just nerve-wracking and we ended up seeing a genetic counselor right after who then gave us the results of oh it's not anything you're fine you had a little bit of leakage that could have caused this or, and it's not down syndrome, but you're, you know, you're okay. And I was like, Ooh. Um, so other than that, my pregnancy was pretty normal. I started our, we got a doula right away. Super grateful for her. And, and then my, my baby just wouldn't turn. He wanted to be feet down. <laughs> I don't know how to explain. He just wanted to be breached. And so you know, we were doing our birthing classes and I just remembered the doula who was doing them. She was like, well, you're at, I don't know. I was probably at like 30 weeks. She was like, oh, he should really be head down. And I'm like, really? Mm-hmm. At this point, he should really be? She was like, yeah, you really need to get on it, Lauren. I was like, okay, I need to get on this. So I, at that point, I was like, okay. So my doula and I worked on spinning babies. I spent so much time upside down every day. I feel like I was on an ironing board. I was doing all these things for spinning babies. You know, you buy the stuff, all the stuff. I bought it. It wasn't working. So then someone's like, okay, you should do, go to the acupuncturist and do this uh, epoxy. You know, so I'm like, okay, so then I'm burning this thing on the outside of my pinky toe on my right foot mm-hmm. for 20 Bladder minutes. Or six. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm, but I'm like, very pregnant. And so like bend over for 20 minutes to do one toe. And then I had to go 20 minutes on the other toe was like excruciating. And he did it every morning and every night. I was like, okay, this is, this is a lot. Okay. I'm very dedicated Mm -hmm. to to spinning this baby and that didn't work. So I'm like, okay, I started chiropractor. I saw, started seeing a chiropractor like my last month of pregnancy. Um, And I saw her every other day. And then I started seeing her every day Mm -hmm. and again, nothing. And then I just got this gut feeling and it was, your baby's going to be born the way he needs to be born. And like, you just need to accept that and you need to just go with it. And um, when that happened, it just like clicked in my brain. And I was like, okay, I can still have a birth plan for a cesarean. I can still do this and that's okay. But that switch, when you plan something and you believe in something so hard to make that switch in your brain, it's so difficult. And, um, and I still was like holding hope that I'm going to somehow this baby's going to flip. Um, and they wanted to try an aversion at like 37 weeks. And I was like, no, because they were like, if you spin it, if you spin the baby in the hospital and it works, then you're having a baby. If it doesn't work, you're still having a baby. And I was like, oh, then I'm waiting. And I'm, I'm very grateful. So we went in on my scheduled day with my big long list of everything I wanted for my cesarean, which was wonderful. My doctor was very supportive and she, she made sure everything on my list got crossed off. Um, I got to completely watch my baby being born, the surgery and everything, which was just really unique uh, for me. Sorry. And um, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize I was going to get emotional about my little Odin. (laughs) And anyways, I just remember, you know, lying there and, Um, having my surgery and my husband's right beside me and my doula is also in the room with her essential oils. (laughs) And, and he comes out and he's announced that he's a little boy. And then um, 
he gets cleaned up. My husband goes over and my husband gets to do skin to skin with him. And it was just, it was such a beautiful birth. And it's like some, you know, I don't regret it at all. And I'm just like, I did everything I can. And ah, once you see that little baby, he was just, oh, wow. He was on my husband's chest and he was rooting and making rooting noises. And like my doctor and everyone in the room just like stopped. And they were like, we've never seen this before. (laughs) We've never seen a baby come out cesarean and like literally be banging his head on a chest, like wanting the breast. (laughs) So I knew right away. I was like, that's my, that's my, that's my baby. (laughs) He's hungry. He knows where it's at. So my doula was really excited. So anyways, I remember at this point that my doctor mentioned something about blood, right? Oh, there's a lot of blood. I'm like, okay, but I was dismissive because I have this cute baby over here rooting. So it wasn't even until after I was in recovery and I started breastfeeding that uh, my doctor came in and, and told me that I had hemorrhaged. And, and so I had a, um, an MFM who specialized in accreta and pre-creta and, and all these things, because I was just so worried that if I had a seven week sac that stuck to my uterus, like, what is it going to look like full term? And so I had done all this research and I was prepared to lose my uterus uh, with this birth and it didn't happen. And um, I just felt so blessed. I felt so blessed that I got to keep it and um, that my child was born at full term. And I just remember, I can't wait for baby number two. (laughs) Anyways, but I enjoyed this birth so much and him so much. And just the hemorrhage just got added to my list. And I'd forgotten about it until baby number two. And but then it starts adding on, right? Okay, miscarriage, baby number one, now Mm -hmm. uh, baby number two comes. And I really wanted my V back. And so I don't necessarily, my pregnancy with baby number two, I was, I had accepted a job that paid for my insurance and I was going to go back to my doctors, but I ended up getting pregnant before. Uh, I mentioned before that I stopped having periods. It's like sometime in my twenties and had gone through menopause. I had gotten the COVID vaccine and um, gotten both shots. And after my second shot, 17 days later, I started the first period I had had in like years and years and years and years and years and years. And I was so shocked and I had no idea what was happening to my body. And I was like, this can't be happening. This is so weird and so foreign to me. And I remember just calling my doctor, like, what is going on? And she was like, you're not the only woman to report this. It's okay. Just go with it, track it. Let's see if we can, you know, have a natural pregnancy. Like, let's see if you can get pregnant naturally. And I'm like, wow, this is insane. So third month I was pregnant and I just couldn't believe it. Cause I'm like, but my eggs are still crap. Yeah. Like my eggs are crap. Like everything is crap. Right. She's like, Lauren, we're just going to go with it. I'm like, okay, just going with it. So yeah, third month, boom. And I was pregnant and yeah. Wow. (laughs) But it started off. I'm sure. (laughs) uh, But you just don't believe it. You know, like after you've been through everything, you don't believe it. And so um, I just couldn't believe it. And I started having a lot of pain. And and this is where like things get really, I was like, I'm going to lose this baby. I like, I just had this gut feeling like something is it's really wrong. So I ended up going to the emergency room, like the day I took a pregnancy test. I was like, go. And I was like, it better not be egg topic. I need to make sure that this is in the right place. You know, there's something going on. They're like, you're not pregnant. <laughs> That's what they told me. I was like, okay, this little dinky uh- hospital they did a urine test and they told me I wasn't pregnant. And I literally had to tell them like, listen, 
I've been through infertility treatment and I know that you could do a blood test to tell me if I'm pregnant or not. Like, let's, <laughs> come on. And so then they do a blood test. But in the meantime, it's like an hour and I am like, I'm a mess. I am like crying. I am just like an emotional, crazy mess. And um, they come back and they're like, oh yeah, your levels are like a hundred. So most likely you're going to lose this baby. Um, mm. It's very early. And so they're like, they've already like put this on me. And so then they gave me a doctor because I'm, I'm new to this um, facility. It's because I'm sorry. I had moved from Boston to Connecticut to, um, to work and to buy a house during the pandemic. And so I'm in like little Podunkville, Podunk doctors. Um, there's nothing wrong with Podunk doctors. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but it's just different when you go from like downtown Boston to like top notch to like country. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, we were there and he kept telling me my levels weren't rising and they weren't doubling. They're supposed to double and they weren't and baby wasn't growing and nothing was happening for two weeks. And so they did an ultrasound, no heartbeat, nothing. There was something there, but they're like, Lauren, we, ah, you know, like we'll give you another week before we do something. And I'm, I'm just a mess. I'm just complete mess. And, um, they drew my blood again and my progesterone levels were decent, but my pregnancy hormone was just not growing. And so a week or two week went by, can't remember. And I had a heartbeat and I just remember feeling so relieved. And then I just looked at that doctor and I was like, I'm never going to see you again. (laughs) Like, I'm so sorry, Mm -hmm. but I'm never going to see you again. I'm going to go to the best of the best. And so I jumped right back to my, my MFM up in Boston. And the first thing out of my mouth was, okay, I'm pregnant. Will you support me with the VBAC? And she said, yes. She was like, yes, 100%. And this was the kicker. She was like, but Lauren, what you have to know is that because of all your issues, we are aiming for a vaginal birth. You know, you can't sit there and go, I want it to be unmedicated. I want to like, <laughs> she's like, what are, what we're aiming for is a vaginal birth. Mm. And I was like, okay. And then I go home and I'm like, I want an unmedicated birth. <laughs> I'm like, I don't like care jokes on says. you, doc. I'm going to do that anyway. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, my pregnancy is progressing baby's head down the whole entire time. I'm like super excited. And then I remember being at like 28 weeks and I had this very distinct feeling come over me that I was going to, I was going to have this baby early. And I didn't know what that, what that meant. I don't know, you know, so I was like, okay, so around week 30, I started kind of prepping my house, you know, bought all the baby things, got baby things out, you know, just little things like that. In the meantime, I'm teaching kindergarten. I'm still working full time. I still have a toddler now, you know, and I'm just resuming life. And I also, this is when I really started hitting hard the VBAC link. And I was listening to every podcast, every chance I got, like I was on my lunch break listening just to prepare myself. I did a class with you guys. um, Like there was an OB that was there and I had a ton of questions and I got answered. So that was really wonderful. And I just really appreciate um, this podcast being there. And I feel like that's what I really want to share because uh, it was just so helpful, but no one had anything like what I had gone through. And I'm like, oh, I need something. Oh, I'm like, am I crazy? Can I do this kind of a thing? Anyway, so I didn't feel very prepared. And at my 32 week doctor's appointment was on a Friday and I drive to Boston, which is an hour and a half away from where I live. And it was a devastating doctor's visit. My 
my sweet little baby boy was not growing. I had what's called, I have it in here because I'm like, I, I forget everything. It was fetal growth restriction. And was it IUGR? Yeah, but they called it FGR here, like fetal. Oh. It was like fetal, fetal growth, growth restriction. Yes. FGR, fetal growth restriction. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. I was like, I forget the, all the things, but, and so then I was like, okay, exact, tell me exactly what that means. And my baby was measuring in the first percentile. And so then she goes back and she was like, look, he's barely been over 10th percentile this whole time. You know, he's always been very, very small. So he was like in the 10th and the 13th. And I was like, well, where do we need to be to get out of this? You know, she's like, you have to be at 10% to like not have this label. And I was like, that's not going to happen, is it? She's like, no, I'm sorry. And I'm like, oh, man. So at this point in time, it was like, okay, this one week I was visiting her uh, every week. And so now it was I had her visit, plus I had a blood draw, plus I had an ultrasound. So now I was moving up to three visits a week and I was having to drive an hour and a half. I'm like, this is not going to be sustainable. I can't work full time and do this. And um, I had made all my appointments for that next week. And I go home that Friday. And then Saturday morning at three o'clock, my toddler wakes up and I go in to tend to him. And a big thing about FGR was you, I had to count my movements because I don't, I wasn't feeling my baby move because he was so small that there was times that I didn't feel pregnant. And I was like, this is really weird. And so I, it was one of those times when I was up at 3 a.m. And I noticed there was like zero movement. I'm like, okay, maybe he's asleep. So I spend time with my toddler, put him back to bed, go back to my room, and I'm starting to feel him move. And so then I start kick counting, kick counting, kick counting. And then my toddler gets up again. I'm like, oh, my goodness, you've got to be kidding me. So then uh, he comes into my room. He wants to snuggle. So I let him in my bed, and he and he's holding me, and I'm holding him. And my husband gets out of the bed. He's like, he doesn't do that. And so, anyways, next thing I know, I just feel this gush between my legs. And I'm like, what the heck? I am not prepared for this. This is not okay. And we have Google in my home. And uh, so I was like, okay, Google broadcast. And I'm like screaming at the top of my lungs. My water just broke. You have to come right now. And my husband like runs in and he's like freaking out. Like, I don't know. It was really, it was a really, I could picture it in my mind. He's like got his arms and legs sprawled out. Like what's going on? And I'm like, take our son, he, you know, take a son, my son, like our son and like, get me a cup because like, this is gushing out and I don't know what to do. And so this is like, it was crazy. I started um, contracting, but they weren't painful at all. I, I, they were like Braxton Hicks. My belly was tightening and and then it was just like gushes of water. And I was like, this is so crazy. So I immediately call my doctor. And this was the part that made me nervous because here I am preparing for a VBAC. And the doctor immediately said, you need to get to the hospital right now. You will have a repeat cesarean and we will get this baby out. Something's wrong. And I immediately started oh. crying. Yeah. Scary. Kind of <laughs> so scary. scary. Oh, 100%. So I had, the good thing is, is like, I had the 40 minutes for someone to like drive to be with my son, mm -hmm. um, to kind of like process. ponder and sit down <laughs> and, and try to process this. Meanwhile, I'm walking around the house with a cup between my legs, trying to catch all the waters that are like coming out of me. And, um, my husband and I were like, we we're talking it back and forth. Like we, like, this is not anything 
I had ever, ever, ever thought of like, I'm like, okay, I'm like going to go in, going to have a feedback. And so we both agreed that we were going to be open to like what the doctors were saying that we were going to, this is a bunch of learning. We're on a learning curve now. This is not on our terms. It's on this baby's terms. And we are now open-minded and learning. And so it took us an hour and nine minutes to get to the hospital. We passed five policemen. One actually passed us. We were way speeding. We were easily doing 90, hundred the whole way. And <laughs> no one pulled us over. Thank goodness. And uh, it turned out to not be that much of an emergency. We got there. And the first thing that they did was they took me back to confirm that I had broken my water. I was like, you guys can't see this stuff gushing out of me. Like, like, is this not water? They're like, well, it could be urine. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I know what urine is. This is not urine. And they they were laughing because I was like, this is not pee. Or else I've been continually peeing on myself for now two and a half hours. And so anyways, I'm like, okay, whatever. And, um, and then they, they were like, yes, okay, this is the fluid. And they came to my room and they talked to me about everything. And PPROM, that's what it's called. It's premature, premature rupture, rupture of membranes. And so now I was a PPROMer. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it's premature. It's like, so PROM is just premature rupture of membranes, but PPROM yeah. is premature, meaning like baby is before 37 before, weeks. Exactly. Prom. Like premature, premature rupture of membranes. <laughs> exactly. It, it was happening way too early. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And because I was 32 weeks, they weren't going to stop it. So I did not receive any like magnesium or anything like that to, to stop it, which I was kind of grateful for. Cause after I read and I was like, Oh, I don't want that in my body. It burns like fire, but they did start me on penicillin and steroids and all these things because they wanted the steroids were for the baby's lungs. And the penicillin was because the risk of infection goes significantly higher when you have P-prommed when you've prommed early because now I'm just sitting there with open stuff and it's just very easy to get an infection. So they refused to check me. They would never, which is nice. You know, they would not check my, my cervix to see how dilated I was or anything like that. But I do remember at the very beginning, she kind of guesstimated that I was about a one, you know, so it's nothing. It was nothing. And so I sat there, they were like, you're being admitted to the hospital. You'll be here till you have your baby. Since you're 32 weeks, we'll induce you. If you get to 34 weeks, you'll be induced and you'll have your baby. And then the reality was they go through my chart and this is where my past will kick me in the butt. They were like, okay, you have a chance of accreta. You have hemorrhaged with your previous cesarean. Like you have to put in your mind that most likely you're going to have another cesarean. And I was like, no, I'm not. This whole entire time, I was like, no, I'm not. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm having a back, and that's it. Like, I don't, and then I kept telling every doctor that came into my room, I was like, listen, I'm having a back." <laughs> I was like, I'm having a back. It's happening. So I don't even want to discuss another cesarean unless it really gets to that point. I don't want to discuss it. And I was like, I want to discuss how I can have this baby vaginally. That's what I want. And they were very supportive. I'm, I'm just so grateful. And they were just like, yeah, let's, okay, this is awesome. Like this woman has like opinions. And so every new resident, I was at Brigham and Women's Hospital. Sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. And it's a yep, learning. You can totally it, share. You can okay. totally share. <laughs> okay. So it's a learning hospital. So you have a lot of 
a lot of residents and interns. I don't know exactly what you call them all. So I had like every morning, there was like 10 doctors that would like visit my room a few times a day. It was like a lot of doctors. <laughs> and anyway, so Wednesday comes and before that, they were like, okay, listen, you're either going to have this baby within 48 hours, or it's going to be a week or two. Like it, it's either one or the other. We don't really have people in the middle. Well, guess what? I was in the middle. So <laughs> whatever. Way to be different. <laughs> right, right. All around. I'm different. The thing is, is the thing that like really worried me is that the, it's like, okay, I want a VBAC, but at the same time I have these NICU uh, doctors who are right there, like on my case, like, okay, like here's the chances of this. Here's the chances of this. Here's the fact like your baby might be dealing with all of these different things. And anyway, so they were updating me every day of, you know, where my baby's development was for that day and what could be possibly wrong with him when he was born. And oh, by the way, our NICU is full. We don't have any beds. So if you (laughs) go into labor, we'll be transferring you to a different hospital with your child, with, with your child, or however it works. I'm like, what are you serious? They're like, yep, we're full. And so is the hospital next to us. So it'll be, you know, this hospital down the street. I'm like, oh, wow, this is incredible. Anyways, so right then and there, I started praying, okay, listen to me. If I'm going to go into labor, it better be a day that some babies get sent home. <laughs> and, you know, this is, it's got to work out. It's got to work out. And so it did, by the way, it worked out. But Wednesday, I started having like more pain. And it was like, okay, like I'm still contracting, by the way, I keep having what I call Braxton Hicks contractions because they were not painful. They was just like my whole belly would tighten and my water would continue to, you know, spew out. That's the best way I could say it. And so I remember distinctly, I woke up at like one in the morning Wednesday and I started having some pain. So I called my nurse right away and I was like, listen, they've shifted. My contractions have shifted now, but they're still like 10, 14 minutes apart. So we just keep an eye on it. And in the meantime, every time I have a contraction, my baby's uh, heart like disappears. They can't find him. I'm like, okay, you just baby cut this out. So when that happens, guess what? (laughs) Guess what they start talking about? They talk about a cesarean. They're like, oh, Lauren, like his heart rate is really dipping really low. You're, we're going to end up just, you need to prepare yourself. And I'm like, no, I'm not prepared. And so I finally get up out of my bed. I've been in a bed this whole entire time. I had a friend come and visit me. It was like one in the afternoon at this point. And I was standing up the whole visit, which is the most I've stood in um, two or three days. And I'm starting to have regular contractions. They're like easy four to six minutes apart, somewhere around there. They start being really painful that I have to kind of breathe through them. And um. I'm this way. I'm like, listen, I'm not going to call my nurse in here because she's just going to prepare me for a cesarean. So I go like an hour um, with my friend and my friend's like, Lauren, you really need to call your nurse. And I'm like, fine, you leave. I'll call my nurse. (laughs) So I call my nurse and sorry, I'm laughing. She's freaking out because she's like, why didn't you call me? And I was like, listen, I didn't call you because I don't want to have, you know, a cesarean. They call a doctor. He guesstimates and he says, I'm about a one or two. I haven't changed much. And then now they've like increased and they're back to back. So this was like, I could not, I was like, what a natural birth. I wanted that. That's crazy. They wouldn't let me out of my bed because, because of the heart rate and everything that was going on with the baby. And so I was stuck and confined to my bed and I'm just holding, holding the railing 
and turned to my side because every contraction was made worsened by a million because my nurse was like, listen, if you don't want a cesarean, I have to find this heart rate of this baby. And so she is literally in the middle of my contractions, I'm screaming, and she's got that monitor and she's searching for the baby's heart rate to prove that, you know, he's okay. And so this continues and she calls the doctor back in here because they were literally, my contractions were on top of each other, like two to three minutes. It was, it was so intense. I really didn't feel like I had time to breathe. And I was like, listen, like I'm having this baby. I'm, I'm going to have this baby. My doctor, he's not really my doctor. He's like the resident of my doctor. He walks back in and he basically tells me to suck it up and (laughs) that I'm not, that lots of moms go through this and I'm not having this baby. He will check me for real this time. And um, so he goes in and I'm about a three centimeters dilated, but I'm 90% effaced. And he was like, oh, hmm, (laughs) this could change. You know, we're going to send you to labor and delivery. He's like, but don't put it in your mind that you're having a baby today because this can stall. He was like, I've seen this stall so many times. I was like, how has this stall? This is insane. I'm in so much pain. And he was like, no, like, you know, you, this could still stall. And I'm like, okay whatever. I pee prompt. I have no idea what I'm talking about. This is all new to me. Okay, fine. This can stall labor. This, this labor can stall. Sure. Okay. So I, I am put in labor and delivery and my labor nurse looks at me. She was like, you're going to be having this baby in a couple of hours. I don't know what your doctor is talking about. Like she is bad mouthing him so hard. She's like, I don't know what he's talking about. Like, this is insane. She was like, listen, I know, like, I don't want you to be infected, but she was like, I'm going to check you right now. There's no way with the amount of pain you're in and how like your contractions are on top of each other. She was like, I'm going to check you. I'm going to call the anesthesiologist. We're going to get him in here. We're going to get you an epidural because I was in so much pain. Mm. Anyways, I can't believe at this point, I'm like, I wanted a natural birth. (laughs) um, Anyways, so my anesthesiologist comes in right after my doctor had come in again to check me. And he was like, it's only been 30 minutes. Stop paging me. Those were his exact words. Stop paging me. It's only been 30 minutes. And now I've progressed to a five. And he just like, his eyes got really wide um, because before that he like yelled at my anesthesiologist, you're not needed here. You need to leave. This is not happening. It was like, like that. And my nurse was like, the what? <laughs> and, um, and then he checked me and he was like, um, this is happening. I'm so sorry. Anesthesiologist, please come back in the room. Like he's yelling, please come back in the room. <laughs> Help her. <laughs> like, well, this is happening. And it's happening very, very fast. And they're like, where's your husband? And I was like, oh my gosh, my husband's not with me. And at this point I'm oh. panicking. <laughs> Like, he's not even with me. So yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to call him right now. They're like, call him. Right. So I call him and I was like, listen, I know I called you an hour ago and things were progressing slowly, but you have to be here now. And he's like, Lauren, I got an hour and a half. And I'm like, I was like, permission to speed, permission to put your cute little sports car to work, like go fast. He was there in 45 minutes. He showed up, uh, at, they were like, hold the baby in. That's, uh, it's the funniest things that you remember, right? It's like, okay, my epidural half worked. I was still having pain, but it was like kind of, it was, it was like this weird floating area of, I can feel pain on my left side, but not my right side. And so it was just, it was like this weird state of where I was. And I'm actually kind of grateful for it because I still got that natural 
birth feel that I wanted. Like I still very much so felt the ring of fire and like the birth, but at the same time, I, I feel like the hard um, contractions like kind of were taken away. So it was like a nice in between I felt, but as soon as my husband got there, my labor nurse was like, listen, Lauren, I just need to tell you that because of your long list, <laughs> but here it comes again, because of this really long list, you you might end up with a cesarean. I want you to know that they're preparing for it. And I was like, at this time now, I'm uncontrollably crying because this is not what I wanted. And she was like, and I need to also tell you something else. Like what? She's like, there's going to be probably 12 to 15 people in this room as you give birth. And I was like, what? Oh, how, mm-hmm. how many people? She was like, why? Yes. Why so many people? Exactly. Um, because it was a learning hospital. And oh, um, so okay, okay. my, my doctor had his two doctors and my labor nurse had three assistants. And then I had the NICU team for the baby. And that's what it was. So I had um, the NICU doctor plus his three assistants or, you know, residents. And then they brought people in to watch me have this be back after Accreta, after hemorrhaging, you know, like I wanted to be fully present for this birth. And I wanted, I told them very distinctly, I want to grab my baby and I want to pull my baby out. That's what I wanted. I want to pull him out. I want him on my chest. And they're like, Lauren, the realization of that happening, like if he cries, sure. If he doesn't cry, we're so sorry. We have to take him. We have to, I'm like praying long story short, baby comes straight out. I mean, he's four pounds. They estimated him to be like three pounds, but he was four pounds. Um, He comes out. I got to watch the whole thing with a mirror. I had one of those resident people taking pictures the whole time. So I got really good pictures of my birth. And here he is and he's screaming. So he has healthy lungs. I was just so happy that he had healthy lungs. I was like, okay, we're good. Anyways, I got to hold him uh, for about one minute while we did delayed cord clamping. And then I had to hand him over. And then I didn't get to see him again for hours and hours, which was really hard. But I had done it. I had done it. And I had my my V back and it was successful. And I'm just so grateful through my whole entire story that it that had gone the way I really wanted it to go. And um, I just, whew, I feel like I was prepared for so many things. Like right after he was born, they were like, okay, placenta is not stuck, Lauren. There's no accreta. Check. Lauren, you're not hemorrhaging. Check. Now we just have to stitch you up, you know, and I just remember him taking way too long to stitch me up. But I just remember what I've always wanted. Like I was able to jump out of my bed, you know, like the epidural got turned off and I was able to get up and like start walking within an hour and a half. And that's like, that's the whole reason for me. Like I want this vaginal birth, but I want to be like present. Whereas my cesarean, it took me almost a full 12 to 24 hours before I could really get out of my bed. And, you know, it's, it's just very different. And I'm just, I'm very grateful. And I'm very grateful for the information that I received through this podcast to help me get the, my birth story that I wanted. And I'm hoping that my story can help some of you out there that are listening that maybe struggle with infertility and all, all, any of the same things I did. I hope I give you some hope. Yes. Oh my gosh. So many That's miracles in your story. <laughs> so many miracles. I mean, so many from moving to Boston and finding the doctor that you did find because like mm-hmm. that in itself, there's so little doctors out there that even know much about this. And then mm-hmm. to go through all that you did to get pregnant and then, you know, trusting that, okay, 
this baby is just wanting to be this way. And this is the journey. And, you know, and then, Mm -hmm. then again, like not getting pregnant and then get like, what a crazy thing that like, all of a sudden you're pregnant after months and years, you know? So, mm-hmm. and so- I feel like the, they did a pathology. They did testing on my placenta to see why this all happened, why I pre-prompt. And it was because I don't even know what they're called, but like the placenta has like the phalanges or whatever, you know, that like attached to the uterus or whatever. And it like pumps the vitamins and nutrients in mine mm-hmm. were scarred over and adhesive. Like they had adhesive adhesives and um, they were swollen and, but he wasn't getting the proper nutrition that he needed, which is why he came early. And I can't help but think, oh, maybe that's my Asherman's. They tell me it's because of COVID because I had had COVID. Well, that's another question I was going to say is, have you had COVID? Because um, mm-hmm. I, from what I've heard, both like even, even the vaccine, which is kind of interesting how yours is linked to opposite, like getting, starting your period, like, you know, they're saying that COVID vaccines are related to changing cycles and things like that. But Sometimes mm-hmm. they're like, if they get the vaccine and then they go into premature labor, but we've been seeing a lot of people get COVID and then kind of like their placentas are just like, Hey, I'm done. And they send the mm-hmm. message to the body that they need to have a baby. So I'd be curious, like maybe it's a little bit of all of it. I don't know, man, this COVID yeah. stuff's all a mystery. It's all a very fascinating thing, but, um, well, oh I'll tell gosh. you, the NICUs, the NICUs were definitely full and the doctors are definitely telling people that it's because of COVID that so many of these women are having early premature birth. Um, so interesting. How long uh, after did you have COVID or sorry, how long before did you have COVID? So before? I had COVID at Christmas and he was an IP prompt in, in February? Uh, late February. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was born yeah. February 23rd. Yeah. Crazy. So it was like so a couple one, of months, a month and a half ish. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. So, yeah. so interesting. Well, I am so grateful for you for getting up at not even dawn, for <laughs> 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 getting up in the middle of the night to share your beautiful stories with us. And we are so happy for you and grateful for you. And I will promise you this, you are going to touch someone out there. I know you will. Thanks. I really appreciate that. And again, thank you so much for having me. Interested in sharing your VBAC story on the podcast? Submit your story at the vbaclink.com slash share. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.